Welcome to North Beats from North Beach. I'm your host, Corey Luna, and on our third episode, I chat with my coworker and friend, Rob Keane. is a form of promoting the musicians I've met over the years mm-hmm. to you know give everybody a, a bit more opportunity to get out there you know, to yeah. basically, basically you know giving everybody a chance to have a bit more promotion in a different way which you know a lot of us are you know musicians in our own studio apartments or whatever closet spaces mm-hmm. so or addicts in my case oh yeah. is it yeah yeah, my uh, the studio that I'm running right now from my friend is uh, it's his grandmother's house that he used to like manage, um, and they had this attic that's just empty. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, it he gives me a good price because you know it's it's definitely friend prices, but it's also you know an attic is not exactly the an ideal environment. You know, it's, no, no one wants to live up there because it gets really hot and really cold and it's super dusty. And it's like, you know, so they give me a good price and I just kind of treat it as best I can. You know, I got a lot of treatment up on the on the sloped ceilings and stuff, just trying to make some use of it. But what yeah. are you using for padding? So um, I order um, I order from this company called oh, why can't I think of it? Um, it's a company out of uh, Atlanta. Um, that specifically does like acoustic absorption panels. Um, damn it, I'll look it up. I can't think okay. of it. Yeah. But they, uh, you know, yeah, it's it's yeah. they ship everything over. Like, there's a few companies that do it, but I found this one to be the most uh, affordable. Mm. Um, and here, let me, I'll just look at it real quick. Yeah, that's something that I have not done in my studio. It's really important, like especially if you're GIK. That's what it is. G-I-K, G-I-K. G-I-K Acoustics. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, if you're handy, it's even better. You know, like, I don't I, I do not do any carpentry or anything like that, but the panels that I'm, that I'm working with, like, they don't charge a lot for them, but, like, anyone that's, like, even a little handy would be able to just build them. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when people ask about that, I always recommend that, you know, if they can. It's just, it's just a box. Uh, you know, I've got different sizes. I've got, like, 22, 24 inches by 24 inches. Um, I've got uh, some that are 48 by 24 and they're like six inches deep. So, you know, they're, they're pretty thick and they're just filled with rock wool. So they're, they're not very heavy and they've got hooks in there and everything. So you just kind of hang them wherever you need to in the spots. They make a lot of other stuff too, though. They make, uh, diffusers like, you know, for the back of the studio. Mm. Um, they've got different levels of absorption, different sizes. They've got all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that I should do. I've, woken the neighbor below me more than once yeah yeah and i mean you know it's it's one of those things that like you don't really realize how useful it is until you finally just pull the trigger and do it and then you're like oh my god what was i waiting for you know it's it's they say you're supposed to spend as much treating your space as you do on like the monitors in your space so if you've got a nice set of monitors you should be spending you know whatever a thousand two thousand on you know which i haven't at all <laughs> yeah. I haven't but you know uh, 
that's it's it's getting into the hundreds now you know i've got a bunch of these panels especially in my space because of the slope ceilings yeah. um the sound hits it quicker it's not like like this would be great you know a nice high ceiling but my yeah. there my ceilings are right over my space so i have okay. to like cover all around it is it the, one of those attic spaces where if you walk too close to one wall you're gonna hit the ceiling because it's that low Oh yeah, yeah. It goes. It it's it goes directly down to the floor. I mean, it's a okay. large space. It's yeah. you know, like someone has lived in there before. It's not right. like tiny, but yeah. I mean, the corners are the the ceilings meet the floor, and then it you know goes to a point. Yeah, I think uh, I used to work with a a uh, studio uh, recorder in Centerfeld who had a place like that off of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not ideal, but no, it's not. The but price it works. is right. Yeah. I mean, you know, he like. When my buddy was living there before he moved away, he was only charging me a couple hundred bucks a month for it, you know, which, I mean, I think the cheapest studio space you can find in San Francisco is like $600 a month, and that's for something that's like over in the mission, in like a sketchy part of the mission, and it's like, yeah. no. like I don't want to be like working late and walk out of there at like 3 a.m., like it's that, that part of the mission, and it just goes up from there, and those are tiny right. spaces, you know, smaller than this room probably. That is really small. They're really small. Aren't there still practice spaces somewhere in Soma, in an actual building? I I probably I one of the one of the guys that like Harrison or, or Howard. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah, but I think those are more expensive. Probably. Like I I know um, one of the guys that teaches at Pyramind, one of the guys that taught us when I was there, he actually had a building that he purchased or built out just for that purpose, and he That's just cool. rents them out. But I recall him his prices being like too high for any of the students that were there you know no. except for the ones who came from money like there was no way that i was going to be able to like throw an extra eight hundred dollars a month at it you know it's, it was just crazy yeah it's, it's ridiculous yeah that's a nicer space though i think i know yeah. what you're talking about yeah so, if, you know. if you knew anybody any bands in there before you've probably got to have a chance to check it out before yeah like, i haven't been over there in well over 10 years yeah yeah i think it's still there though yeah that's cool but rob tell me a little bit more about your background in music first off tell me your full name uh, Robert Daniel Keen is my full name. Um, I uh, the music thing is pr more recent for me. Um, I didn't really get into production until I was 25. Um, prior to that, uh, you know, I did. I was a pretty serious choir kid in high school. You know, I, we um, we had a really competitive choir. We actually did really well, and we would like you know tour around the state and stuff. But other than that, I mean, I never never really picked up any instruments um, until, you know, now, later. Um, yeah, so it... You got your first uh, Moog. What was, that, was that 2017, 2018? Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. been a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've, you know, along the way, I've started to pick up keyboard a little bit. Um, you know, I try to do exercises on my own, so just so I can learn. But, um, yeah, for me, it really came from uh, learning to DJ first. Um, you know, I'd always... I'd been interested in electronic music since I was a teenager in high school um and uh you know at a certain point you're like okay i want to learn how to want to learn how to spin records and so i had a friend teach me and i was doing that for a while and then it's like well okay now i want to make my own tracks and you know it just kind of went from there mm -hmm. it just it took you know took four years probably bef between learning to dj and uh that um you know where i was like willing to take the jump um and so I, when I was 25, I enrolled at Pyramind, um, which I was, was probably too early for me. Like, I probably should have spent some more time screwing around on my own. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it was, they have a good program. It was good. I learned a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's just... Where's Pyramind? I'm not familiar it's on, with that It's school. Fifth and Folsom. Oh. 
Yeah. Right here. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, San Francisco. It's an like an orange building. It's kind of hard to miss when you drive down there. I'm sure if I was standing right there, I'd probably be able to. I would probably have you know just go. Yeah. Oh, that building. Yeah. Yeah. That building. It's it's orange. It sticks out. Yeah. They uh, they have a good program. There's a couple buildings down there actually that are theirs. Um, hmm. What were you enrolled in over there? So I think the program has changed a lot um, with the explosion of electronic music and more and more people wanting to do it. But when I was there, they had two programs. Uh, one was like a was like a nine-month program. Um, you could do things a la carte. You could take just a single class. But they had a, a nine-month entry program um, where they take you through everything. I mean, we did... Uh, we learned piano. We learned how to music theory class. There was a business class. There was sound design. There was a class for all of the DAWs at the time. Pro Tools was their big one because they were all yeah. audio engineers by trade who just happened to teach these courses. Um, but that's where I learned Logic. That's where a lot of people learned Live. They also used to teach Reason. Um, I mean, they just you, you did everything. There was all kinds yeah. of stuff. They had... Um, music for nice. video games which is what some of the people some of their employees do over mm-hmm. there um so i went through that program they have an advanced program or they had i don't know i'm sure it's changed um yeah. where they would do mixing and stuff um i always thought i might do that one day but never came back to it just because i started learning mixing on my own couldn't really justify the cost and uh yeah those guys are mix engineers for like a lot of alternative mu- you know like rock and things like that mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that's it's different. It's not that they can't do electronic music. Of course they can, but it's it's different. You know, it's right. a different style of mixing. So. so, and would you say that maybe what you're what you were trying to learn with electronic music is not exactly what the program was designed for? Not at that time, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I think they were. I caught them right in the middle of a transitional period where they were kind of moving from. Uh, a real general kind of, you know, um, recording-centric program. Um, you know, t- they had a lot of, like, bands and solo artists and um, musicians and instrumentalists, you know, mm-hmm. coming there to learn stuff. Um, and I think, you know, like, 2010 was when I started there, so that's, like, right when everyone was suddenly a DJ. Everyone <laughs> wanted to learn how to produce. Dubstep was, yeah. like, you know, just appeared, like, a year before. Um, you know, Dead Mouse was like getting really, really big, and you know, so like everybody wanted to get into electronic music, mm. and so I think their program now is like really, really geared towards that because that's most of most of the people that go there. That's what they want to do. You know, I yeah. mean, I they still teach you recording techniques. We had a class where we were learning how to record like a band, you know, mm-hmm. a live band in a studio in the Mission. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh, I think it's probably better suited now to what I was looking for, mm. um, but it was still a good program. I mean, most of most of my difficulty went there was because I didn't probably didn't spend enough time learning the things on my own before I went there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if I just tooled around with Logic for a year or two and just kind of YouTubed it, you know, YouTube University, uh, that would have I would have been much better uh, able to absorb the concepts that they were throwing at me. Um, I think I missed a lot of stuff that was just way above my head, you know, just above yeah. my skill level or experience level. Yeah. But it was still a good experience. I mean, it was great. I just wish that I'd done it a couple years later. You know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. You know, I could, I can definitely attest to a lot of college uh, I took that I was not ready for. Yeah. 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 
So with this, um, with you know going to you know this school, now you've got these skills. Where have you been focusing these your your skills and where your interests really in electronic music? Well, um, I mean, when I started there, uh, I was making, I was trying to make uh, trance music. I was listening to a completely different style back then, mm. and kind of over the course of my time there, um, my it just kind of shifted towards house, progressive house. Um, you know, a little bit slower, a little bit darker, not quite so anthemic and, you know, um, less emotional, I suppose, is a good way to put it. Um, it's, it's just a different style. And uh, it keeps going further and further away from that as time goes on. Um, are, it, you per, are you primarily still more house-driven? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, my personal stuff is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very housey. It's progressive house but it's still yeah um although my recent projects i've been working i've done haven't done so much solo stuff recently i've been working um i was i was working with a band for a while um we're you mentioned that about a year or so ago when you and i were chatting about music yeah amnesia cult yeah that was um the guy that i was renting that place from Mm. uh he was part of it and then we had uh, a couple other friends that we know that live nearby um they were all singers and uh, instrumentalists. One of them was a fantastic producer, um, like really different styles. Um, our, our female singer that was in the group was like more house like me. Mm. Um, Noah, the lead singer, was like uh, almost like I guess rock influence. You know, he was he was, he was like he's like a solo indie artist kind of guy. Mm. And then you know the other producer guy. I mean, he's probably going to be the next Bonobo. That guy taught me a lot. Um, no. So it was it was a lot of really different styles that were we were trying to meld together and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't yeah. um two of them moved away so that project is probably no more it's it's yeah. on it's on an indefinite hiatus but uh yeah amnesia cult was what amnesia we were called cult. yeah we we put out a few tracks we um you know did a couple just tiny shows for friends like backyard party type stuff for you know it was fun yeah it was fun you know i learned a lot um yeah, it, I, I think we all taught each other a lot of things, um, but yeah. And so now I've got I've got one more person uh, that I've, I do a different project with now, um, and I'm looking to get back to towards some of my own solo work soon. Yeah. I'm kind of jonesing for getting back into house because the guy that I work with now is an incredible musician, but um, not not a not a house guy not club music really um we do like disco house kind of stuff but he's a live instrumentalist so it's like kind of like a hybrid setup it's more like watching a band sort of when we play um and i'm kind of i'm interested in getting back to uh, some some solo stuff i'm thinking i want to try and wrap up like a three track ep under a new alias and just kind of go a totally different direction so i haven't decided what it's all going to sound like but i've started writing and getting some ideas down and yeah so that's kind of what i'm working on now so is this a separation from what i've heard on your soundcloud probably yeah yeah okay. yeah it'll be a little darker um a little darker a little more spread yeah. out um and your, your soundcloud is the walking still right uh, it was, Once. it was. I switched yeah. back to just, uh, just my own name. Um, I, I did a, I did a few tracks under that alias, and then uh, everything more recent uh, is just under Robert Keen. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll probably develop a new alias because this music is going to be um, darker, um, not so. 
it's going to be like really bass driven and you know very very clubby and um, yeah I'm trying to do I want to do some interesting things with uh, the arrangement um, I feel like my tracks and a lot of a lot of house tracks can be very cookie cutter you know very yeah. sort of formulaic in the way that they're made um, but I've been listening to some guys who kind of flipped the script recently uh, and I really like the idea of exploring kind of different ways to do club tracks so that's that's kind of where my head's at right now it's where I'm mm. thinking of going with this is creating a new alias and trying to steer a different direction and just see where it goes you know this actually sounds a little bit different than I, I expected you know with your idea of you know going a little bit darker with with uh, progressive house yeah I mean um, I uh, my my idol is uh, this guy Jeremy Olander he's a Swedish DJ uh, he's Eric Prid's protege, if you know Eric Prid's. Um, and I kind of think, like, it's kind of who, whoever I'm following at the time is where, where I want to go musically. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I follow those people because that's where I'm going musically. I'm not sure what, you know, chicken or the egg. I don't know which which, which one's driving which. But, um, <laughs> you know, Eric Prid's is, it's progressive house, but, you know, there's it's it can be very anthemic. It can be very, uh, you know, hands in the air. Um, or it can be kind of electro-y sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's more commercial, I suppose, more accessible, um, which I don't really like. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I like about Jeremy Lander's stuff is that, uh, there's so much talent and like innovation baked in there. But if you like mention his name to most people, they go, who? They have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but he's, I mean, he's huge within you know progressive house circles because he does he has a really unique thing that he does differently so i kind of i've been studying his music a lot the last few years um and i don't think that i feel like i'm i'm finally starting to realize some of the things that he does that are in they're like interesting what makes it unique mm-hmm. and so like now i want to try to apply that to my own music and you know it's it's going to be darker <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right that's, that's yeah. pretty unique man yeah. Uh, and what do you so with this new solo project you're working on, you want to do what you said like a three track EP, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm curious about like <coughs> what's your projection of when this might be released? Are you still work? How long? Much longer? You, you think you're gonna be working <coughs> on tracks? Is this this year, next year? Oh, I mean, I would like to be done with them mid April. Like that's I tr- pretty quick. That's pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try to Good. push tracks out. Uh, I try not to spend more than two weeks on a track at a time if I can help it. It usually ends up being three. But I have that that same problem that a lot of producers have um, where when you you get working on on the same thing for more than two weeks, you start to hate it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then your motivation to finish it kind of disappears. And then you're like, no, I have to finish it. So you push through... But it's like it's really hard to like work to put in quality time with like good creative drive when you don't like something anymore. You know, like you really need to just work quickly, in my opinion. Like yeah, you really. I th- I think I know what you're talking about. Where uh, there's many tracks where I've done it, I've worked on within one or two days, and that's about all I'll spend on it. Yeah. Because by then I have fallen out of interest on that track and I've come up with something else in my head right. and I want to work on that instead right. yeah. and then there's many projects as everybody as I'm sure as many of us have now that are mostly unfinished they're yeah. just sitting around waiting to be you know 
waiting to see the light again. Yeah, I mean, I've got whole folders of stuff where, you know, and like some people can work that way. I've never understood how, but some people can like come back to something eight months later and like know where to go with it or what to do with it. I don't think I've ever opened a track that I kind of forgot about or went back to much later on and didn't think, what the fuck was I doing here? What was I <laughs> thinking? You know, like that, yeah, I've, I've got whole folders of ideas that, you know, they say save everything because you might need it. I've right. gone through entire folders of ideas two years later and been like, I can delete all these. I'm not going to use any of this. Like, I, it's none of it worked for me. For me, it's mm-hmm. always got to be moving forward, and I have to do it quickly, I've discovered. Like, if I take a month to work on a track, I'm usually pretty unhappy. I might try working on multiple things at the same time, maybe. That's not something that I've really done a whole lot of, but... Maybe that would help keep my interest, you know. Maybe, maybe working on something just every day for two weeks is what kills it. So, but yeah, I mean, I I would like to have it done, you know, mid-April. That would be good, or late April. You yeah, know, that'd be pretty. If cool. I start, if I leap into it, you know, at the end of this week, that's when I'm getting back in the studio. Right. Yeah. Hopefully. Good man. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, getting projects done like that, especially on your own time when you really don't have a deadline of any sort. It's just like uh, you just yeah. have to push yourself and do it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that's the only way that I would do it is I would have to set a deadline for, you know, I would have to set a date and be like, all right, April 15th, that's it. That's the day. Everything has to be done by then. And I think it would, I've done things like that before and missed the deadline and then you get depressed about that and you're like, oh, what does it even matter? You know, because you ended up missing your deadline anyway but (laughs) I think what I'll do like the idea is on the 15th I submit it to whatever label labels I'm going to submit it to Mm -hmm. in whatever form it's in like Mm -hmm. that's the trick is on that day work stops and whatever I got is what's being sent in (laughs) so if I want it to be quality I better put in the time to make it good you know what I mean like um, I think maybe that's going to be that's that'll be something new i've never tried that before i think that's kind of the way i'm thinking i'll hold myself accountable this time around to get it done and you know i think six weeks is long enough to produce quality like if i get there and i'm like none of them are good enough to submit then i wasn't really putting in the time you know what i, I mean? think so yeah there's definitely a lot of production time you really have to tell yourself you and really put in the hours to actually get it out there yeah even if it's you, know, you you even if you already put in you know the, the time to really record it and then you're thinking I need to go back and redo this track or this right. section of it and then you really start to kind of start to beat yourself up about it and go nah, I don't really want to do this right yeah yeah but, especially if you st- but, if you go back and start changing a bunch of shit it's like yeah. you know. <laughs> and, you know, and then you start mixing your own tracks and it's and I think actually that's when you the some of the magic can kind of come back into a track is when you start doing your own mixes on your on your tracks you really start to understand, okay, that was right, that was wrong. Mm-hmm. I need these a little bit better, a little bit higher, a little bit lower here and there. Yeah, it's one of the things that's that's helped a bit, <clears throat> actually. And I mean, this is one of those rules that I learned at Pyramind that it took a few years for me to realize, just break that rule, don't, even, don't worry about that. Um, they always tell you to, like, or you hear people say a lot, like, okay, you have your writing phase and your production phase and your sound design phase and you leave the mixing to the end and so I would do that but the thing is like I you know I get that I get what's behind that like you would never mix an, a like a, a, tr- a track for a band if when 
when everything isn't already recorded, right? But yeah. when you're doing your own music, you know how it should sound. You know the techniques that you employ constantly in order to, you know, you know the things that you do over and over when you're mixing your tracks. I kind of mix as I go now. Um, hmm. Not completely, but like halfway. You know, like I used to like make a track and then I would go into like, be like, okay, time for the mix. Can't change anything else. And I'd pull down all the faders and then rebalance everything from there. And a lot of times I'd find that it sounded better before, but I can't go back and pull like, you know, unless I want to do undo like a hundred thousand steps, <laughs> I can't go back to get those faders back where right. they were. You know, it's kind of like I, I'll... I set the volumes of things as I'm writing, as I'm producing, yeah. and generally that ends up being right. That's how it's supposed to sound. Um, and you know, like if there's something where I know that I'm going to need heavy compression on it, like you know, if you're doing like a sub bass line and you're really trying to tame that thing and get it very firm and not get a lot of movement in there, um, especially if it's got a lot of energy and you really just need to, you know, if it's that's something that I'm I always end up being really heavy handed on with compression anyway, you know, that, that always ends up happening. Just do it on the spot. You know, like if, if you know that certain EQing and some compression is what's needed to make something sound the way it's supposed to sound, why not just do it right then and there? You know, yeah. I'm not saying do all of the EQing and all of the compression and all that stuff, because you know, like sometimes you need to compress something while listening to the rest of the track to, you know, figure out to, hear how that's affecting everything else how it's blending with everything else you know okay. like that's something you definitely need to do when you've got everything done but there are some things where i know that you know like kicks i almost always end up doing a, a cut around 400 hertz almost always it's you know it just makes it sound better there's that boxy sort of region between two and 400 <laughs> that i always end up pulling down i always end up carving something out of that eventually I just do it on the spot now because I know it's coming. You know, I know it's going to make my kick sound better. Why not produce the rest of the track with the best sounding kick that I can? You know, so I'd say it's like 50-50 now. I definitely have a mix phase at the end where I go back through everything, but I don't, you know, maybe I'll nudge a fader here and there. Maybe, oh, that was a little quiet the whole time, but I don't like to pull everything down and just start really like from scratch as far as the mix session goes. You know, wow. not anymore. That's, it speeds up the process too. That's something I've never tried. I mean, you know, it, I don't, I, I think, I don't know what made me try that. I think I read somewhere someone like a, like a big name artist mentioned that they're like, you know, I kind of just do it while I'm working. And I was hmm. like, Maybe I should try that. I don't remember who it was, but, and, and it just worked for me. I like, I think it's one of those things that like, maybe a lot of people can't work that way, Yeah. but you know, it, sure it's, could. it speeds it up, yeah. it speeds up the process, you know, and it's one of those things like it's kind of useless to do that if you don't know how to mix or if there's some part of mixing that you don't really understand very well you know if you haven't really wrapped your head around compression um or or, or your reverbs always kind of sound messy or, or something like that then you know it doesn't really help to do it at the time you know that it's something that you kind of need to set aside and really focus in on in like a separate phase of the process but when when you do a lot of the same things over and over and you've kind of got a handle on things that you always do, I find that it speeds the process up. Cool. Yeah. I never thought about that. Now, are you doing your own uh, mastering too or you really haven't gotten to that point? Mm. 
So, yeah, I've always done my own mastering just because it's expensive. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. one thing I want to do probably with this, is I was actually thinking about doing this for that three-track EP. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know a little bit about mastering. I know, I get the idea, and I have some practice with it because I have to do it at the end of all of my tracks. But in truth, you know, it's... It's, it's It really is one of those things that you should leave to another person because a lot of times, you know, in the mix stage, I've EQ'd all kinds of things and there's an EQ on the master bus and it's like, what, why would I throw a mastering EQ on there and change something? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of redundant. Like a lot of the things that a mastering engineer does to fix problems, hopefully not too much of that, but fix problems or brighten things or widen things or sweeten things up or make them warmer or whatever they think the track needs mm. like you're not going to know to do that because it's your track and you're missing it the first time like that's the whole point of mastering it really is just it really is getting a second more informed opinion it's that fresh pair of ears yeah it's that's really what mastering is and what it should be so what I'm essentially doing is just making it louder <laughs> and trying to do that as cleanly as possible because you know that's part of the deal um, but yeah my mastering phases are pretty small like I recognize that you know most of that's redundant it's mostly just making it louder um, you know I've, I've already done what I think is right for it and you know, in the absence of a second set of ears, I'm kind of just pumping up the volume. Um, I was thinking of using Lander. Um, I know that a lot of people would crucify me for even saying that out loud, but uh, just because I'm told that it's pretty good now, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to, I want to master it myself, and then send the you know mixed and unmastered tracks you know to Lander, which I think it's it's pretty cheap to have them do it. Uh, or it do it, I should say, the AI do it. And I want to hear the differences. You know, I want to see, like, is it better than what I'm doing on my own? Mm -hmm. Is it not? You know, what what does it do that I don't? Uh, what do I do that it doesn't? You know, just kind of compare and see if I, and then, you know, set it side by side with professional tracks that I know were mastered by a person and be like, okay, well, how bad is Lander really? Like, it's my understanding that it's getting really good. Uh, well, I've never so, used Lander, so tell me a little oh, bit more. Oh, Lander, it, it's an AI? online mastering service. It's basically you upload your tracks, uh, and 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 it AI does it. You know, there's like a wow. there's an algorithm that just I don't I don't know the specifics. I don't know how they do what they do, but right. it was one of those things that there was a lot of backlash, in, you know, initially because it was like, oh, you're letting a computer do it, and you know, a human is always better. And I think at first, you know. It, it was kind of like that. Like people in the know would be like, this sounds like garbage. Yeah. But you know, a few, several years on now, it's my understanding that it's, it's getting pretty good. Yeah. So I'm told, uh, it's, it's to the point where I, I think my understanding is that it's to the point where people like myself who are not going to spend four or $500 to have a track mastered. It's like the best option we have, you know, it's okay. like if, if, obviously paying a, a true mastering engineer who has some crazy studio and 35 years of experience four or five hundred dollars to do your track it's going to come out better than any other option but i don't have that kind of money to throw at it right so if i'm going to throw 50 or 100 bucks to someone who kind of knows how to master but like anyone who's doing it for like 
a single track for that much is probably still kind of new to it doesn't have quite so much experience doesn't have you know the, so the crazy room and the crazy stuff like my price range the computer is better than the human most of the time I think is how it breaks down <laughs> so for me it's like I might as well just try it out and see see what I get and you most know? of your stuff or you're working most with soft synths uh, yeah, I mean, I try to incorporate the the sub thirty seven in as often as I can. A lot of my bass lines, I use the sub thirty seven, but I, I try to, you know, and I a lot of the like mono lead stuff. Um, anything like, I try to use the sub thirty seven as often as possible, mostly just to justify the purchase. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's also it's it's fun. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with it that. Uh, you know, I can't really get out of software. I mean, the software's got yeah. knobs galore, but I can't twist all those knobs at the same time. You know, right. I've got a controller that's got a lot of them mapped, but it's not the same. No. You know, they're not labeled this, the same for every synth. So, you know, having all those parameters available at your fingertips that I can just twist and do weird stuff, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm learning is more valuable than I thought it was. And so I'm trying to use that, you know, for like lead sounds and you know even some percussive sounds and basses and stuff i try to use the sub 37 as often as possible because it really is good for that stuff it is and you can do it in the software but it's different you know it's sure. I, you don't get to touch the software no it's totally different but i do right. use a lot of the software sense too you know a lot of the native instrument stuff yeah i've got their complete 12 not the crazy ultimate one but like the one with all the synthesizers i love their stuff i, I most of my drums come from their sample packs so, yeah, it's it's a mix of both, but yeah, I'd say it's mostly, it's mostly in the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With um your EP coming up that you're working on, I'm curious, are you planning to just release it, or are you planning to maybe do a couple shows? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would definitely, you know, the the idea is send it off to a label. If you don't get a response send it off to another label you know like send it off to the labels that you think that I think are that it's best suited for and you know if I don't get a response on it a few times then just put it up on SoundCloud you know just be like okay this one didn't get picked up put it on SoundCloud so people can listen to it move on to the next thing but yeah I mean in any show that I would play I mean that's one of the things like I play so many weird styles now between all these bands and projects um but if I was doing a DJ set of like my style, just you know, progressive house set, mm. I would absolutely throw those in. I mean, that's that's what we do this for, you know. I mean, yeah. you want to be able to throw in something people haven't heard, and you know, something that has your own style, and you know, yeah, I would absolutely throw it into sets. Question is, you know, I haven't played a progressive house set in a while. Um, mostly these days, I'm playing. Uh, like lots of house parties and things where the disco house that I do with my other friend goes over much better. (laughs) Progressive house is one of those styles. It's like you either like it or you don't. And there aren't that many people that like it. It's not like a super popular style. Hmm. Um, It's very club oriented. Um, It's, you know, there's not a lot of opportunities to just do that. Whereas I have a lot of friends who know that I have these other playlists with, disco house and more like approachable music Mm. songs that they know that they've heard um stuff that my buddy can play guitar keys over while i'm playing it yeah um so most of the time that's what we end up playing these days because it's approachable we have a lot of friends that like it you know it it gets the party going that makes sense yeah with 
talking about SoundCloud, have you thought about putting your stuff up on Bandcamp once you're, you've gotten your stuff a bit more... Uh, I have some stuff up on Bandcamp, actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, I think... How many tracks? I think I put, like, my ten most recent tracks up there. Yeah, or, like, eight of them, because two of them I couldn't... Or, like, bootlegs, so I couldn't actually sell them legally. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think I have, like, seven or eight of them uh up there on Bandcamp, yeah um check that out i didn't know that yeah it was kind of a it was kind of a recent thing um i had a lot of trouble putting the profile together i could never quite i was was doing a lot of uh trying to do a lot of the not artwork but like a lot of the logos and stuff myself Mm -hmm. um and i am not a graphic designer so (laughs) (laughs) i think i spent more time like fooling around with uh the graphic design software just trying to get the logos right uh did you make a tree logo somewhere yeah there? yeah that's yeah. what i was using uh okay. it, that i put that as an i put that on everything as an imprint you know like i don't actually have a, a record label that's like an llc or whatever but uh i thought about it you know i thought well maybe someday i'll well that'll be a thing yeah, and this this will be the the name and symbol that i use right um, but you know that's the whole idea of like doing some type of logo that you put on everything that you produce or work on is that eventually people are going to pick up on hey i've seen that around somewhere before yeah and i mean you know it if it became a thing um you know when someone was like going through back catalog or whatever like that symbol is on everything going back yeah. even before the label actually existed you know yeah, it's yeah. just kind of yeah, it's uh, I was doing broken tree recordings is what I That's was doing, yep. which is an anagram of my name. So <laughs> cheeky. That's pretty um, good. Yeah, yeah. My brother actually drew the tree. I should have had him do all this. He's like actually an artist. So I oh. should have had him do all that stuff for me, but he's he's a very busy guy. So yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So you've been working on your album. That's really cool. You've been working on mixing, mastering. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the mixing is that's really the trick that's that's the hard thing um i feel like i've spent more time trying to learn how to mix than any other aspect of this and it still to some degree eludes me like i just well who, is, so who are you hard. looking at as inspirations for for mixing and and, and doing this type of pro- these types of projects like are you looking at a tip particular artists doing mm-hmm. it or are you looking at youtube tutorials something like that um YouTube tutorials, yeah. I mean, I, I like some YouTube tutorials. Those are like, but you know, those are like everything else. Um, there's a lot of good. There's some good advice, and there's a lot of bad. Um, and it's it's sometimes when, when it's a subject that you don't know about, it's kind of hard to parse the difference. You know, um, one of the things that I think I've always kind of struggled with, just in the entire production arena, is receiving advice that was either bad or outdated or not right for what I was trying to do and not knowing and Mm -hmm. so having to and you know taking years for me to figure out that like no you don't have to do that like that's just a thing people say or um you know like 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 the example we used earlier like oh wait wait until the end to mix you know pull all your faders down start start from scratch you don't have to do that it works better (laughs) for me any me anyway to do like a different version of that um, you know, people tell you not to, to use EQs a certain way, you know. It's better yeah. to, to cut than it is to boost. Always do wide boosts. Never do anything really crazy. And it's like, well, some professional artists do wild fucking things with their EQs. Like, they yeah. they go nuts. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it makes it sound better. And it's sim- and all, that's 
simply because when they got into it, there wasn't anyone like, you know, sitting over their shoulder going, no, no, it's too much. That's all. Oh, that's not enough. No, you shouldn't, you should cut there. Don't boost. You know, they were just like, they were just like, oh, I can go 12 dB like right here. You know, it sounds way cooler. Or, oh, I should just cut all this shit out. And that sounds better. You know, yeah, um, it sounds like, you know, a lot of people don't want to p- play into the cliches, but, yeah. but the cliches are, have a purpose Yeah, and that, they're not they're cliche because they're useful yeah and i mean you know it there's a reason that a lot of those things those ideas that you know i had to fight against are around but you know i think they make sense when you're talking about different styles it's it's kind of knowing what's right for your situation that's why you hear a lot of people say you know just break the rules just fuck the rules just do do whatever if it sounds good it is good you know uh, and I tr- it's I very try validating. Em- it is. Yeah, I try to embrace that. I try to, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I think mostly as I continue on, I'm gonna put put a lot more emphasis on reference tracks. Um, that's one of the things that I keep hearing my idol Jeremy Lander. I compare my music to his a lot because it sounds really good. Uh, he, you know, I think he's one of the best producers in the world today, at least you know for that style. Yeah. Um, and you hear him say that all the time. You know, people always ask, how did you, you know, and he said, well, I listened to a lot of the other stuff. You know, I would listen to another track that I liked and, well, my kick didn't sound like their kick, so I would toy with it until it did. And then I'd go to the bass and be like, oh, man, their bass sounds way better than mine. What do I do? And I would toy with it until it was better. You know, he, he would just, that's how you use reference tracks. And I think I, right, I reference right, his material okay. a lot because it's really similar to the style that I want to make. Yeah. So I think all the lessons you know, there's a lot of valuable lessons in there for me like that's the information that I need to be absorbing um, there's you know there's great YouTube videos by you know I mean Mike uh, uh, well, hold on a sec let's get back to this for a sure. second because you really kind of jarred my memory on this because uh, so back in De- late December I had my my album mastered mm. and in the guy doing my my doing the mastering um, I got Nathan Moody to do it and he gave me a lot, like, after everything. You know, we, he did, you know, two rounds, and he usually does three, but he got it on the second round of, of uh, mastering my album, and my experience was, like, he gave me this uh, full spread of, of... Notes. Notes. Yeah. And it was, it was deep. Yeah. It was a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Which was very helpful, because, you know, if, we, if I work with him again, I have a better basis of what he's, of his expectations of how an album should be, you know, how things should be done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is, a lot of my stuff was too hot. You know, things yeah. were, you know, the bass was too low, stuff like that. Yeah. That was like, you need to, you know, pay more attention to those things. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, you know, make sure to cap off your your um, your inputs so that they're not, you know, blowing out, to, you know, too much. So they're yeah. not, you know, making too much noise. Yeah. And, and also a big part of that was the reference tracks because I, you know, Whereas I've got, you know, everybody's got so many different ideas of who they want, who they're influenced by, and what they feel like these sound like. And, you know, the three tracks, you know, he says, give me three, you know, three reference tracks. And I gave him three different different tracks from different artists. I sound like none of these guys. Hmm. So it was a bit, I'm sure it was a bit of a challenge because even he, you know, mentioned that. And, and it's true, I don't. But, you know, because my stuff is not as hard as some of the tracks I put in there. Or it's not mm-hmm. as melodic as some of these some of these other references I had in there but I thought it kind of created a bit more of a challenge because I don't sound like anybody and that 
you know, I have to my mind reference these reference tracks are are more of an influence on how I've incorporated what I enjoy from them into what I create. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I feel like they're they're just as important. You know, the the reference tracks that you hand to a mastering engineer are just as important, but in a different way. Um, you know, like because he may not like your style of music. He may not know your style of music. He may not know any of the people that you give him. He may not have heard music that sounds like, uh, you know, what you're presenting him with. Um, you know, I mean, I typically, I think if you're going to have something mastered and you're going to, you know, like a professional and like pay them a decent amount, you should find a, find someone who likes to work on a style, you know, at least electronic or something like that. Like you wouldn't want to go and get like, you know, a rock mix engineer or like a rock mastering guy to do a, an electronic album generally speaking yeah. but you know I mean a lot of these a lot of you know a lot of these mastering engineers they're, they're just like mix engineers like they're they just need work you know they're, they're gonna take it no matter what so I, I feel like you really it is really important to try to dial in those reference tracks to things that you think sound similar or have the sound that you want um, you know so that they have a a really accurate roadmap to go with yeah. like if you give them just things that maybe have an influence on you stylistically or or um you know inspire the way that you make music it's it may not translate with what they're hearing they're like ah oh, this doesn't sound like how am i supposed to what am i supposed to take from this to apply to you know his music mm-hmm. i feel like that's that's one of the important things with reference tracks is you really really have to kind of like find something that you that's as close as you can get like you know try just get as close as you possibly can and i mean you know especially when you're doing when you're listening to them for yourself it's helpful to try to find someone that like sounds as close as possible so that you can do that nitty-gritty stuff like oh man their kick sounds way better than mine like it's got like a snap and mine sounds kind of dull and Maybe I, you know, I need to work mm-hmm. on that. And that's, it can be really like eye opening. Like you might be like, yeah, this track sounded great. This is awesome. I love the groove on the baseline. And then you'll pull up a reference track and you're like, oh, yeah. man, it's all muddy and just the kick sounds like shit. And, you know, it's, it's like, it can be really revealing. You know, if you, okay. if you, you get in the groove and you're like, this is sounding awesome. I'm writing great music. And then you pull <laughs> up a pro track and it's like, oh, there's so much work to be done here. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you been working on with other um, have you been working on with other musicians as a mixing or, or mastering artist um I well yeah a little um I've had uh, I've done a couple mixes for for some friends I had um, we, I kind of co-produced it I had a friend who um, wanted to do this this track uh, he's, he's actually a Bay Area artist too his name is Michael Angel um, and we did a track together, which is on his SoundCloud. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of co-produced a little bit. Um, you know, he, he gave me a pretty much a complete track, but he wanted me to kind of houseify it, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I, I added some elements, swapped some things out. But I, he was paying me mostly to do the mix because, you know, I, I did the mix from the ground up. Um, and then I've had a couple other friends that were working on their other projects um you know very very diy not like you know huge things but they're like none of us know how to mix can you do this and you know so i do <laughs> that for them um yeah i mean it's 
I have done that kind of work in that I was getting paid for it. It wasn't, you know, it was definitely like friend prices. Like, you know, I'm not a professional at this either. So yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, I don't want to like charge a bunch of money for this, but you know, yeah. Um, I think part of my problem is I don't have the ideal space for that. Um, I, I would love to, to take, to do that sometimes. Like, I think it'd be a cool side gig to, you know, be able to pick up a mixed job on, um, on Upwork or some site like that, um, mm. once in a while. But, uh, you, like your mixes have to be a certain quality and mine just are not there yet. Yeah. I do find it easier to work on other people's stuff though. Strangely, mm. <laughs> actually, um, I don't know why that is. That's well. That would go back to the idea of you know that particular artist or that group of musicians giving their tracks over to you, saying we need you to do this because it's, you're a different pair of ears. You have a different idea of what we sound like compared to what we we think we sound like. Right. Yeah. I mean. That, yeah, that probably has. A, I think for the most part, when when well, the people that I've worked with, it's literally just we don't know how to do this. Like we don't have any of this technical stuff. That's why it works so well with Zach. That's the the guy I'm working with now. Um, we have a we call our group Elon Musk. Um, yeah, like, okay. the, like yeah. I know. Are you talking about yeah? No, no, no. Elon, like the E-long. flower. Oh. Y L A N G. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, it's one of those. That. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess if I saw the he spelling, named that would it. Make sense. Yeah. Um, so that's the that's the group I work on with him and it's it's a good match because he's like a pure musician you know um, he had all these ideas he's an incredible guitarist he's a great keyboardist too um, he's good at writing he's got a lot of ideas but you know like when we started working together he's like dude I don't know I don't I don't know any of this stuff like you gotta you gotta do all the mixing and it's like okay yeah so you know I and a lot of times for amnesia cult too like that's it's when you want to be a house producer, you have to learn how to mix well. And so I've spent so much time doing that that when I meet other artists who are like instrumentalists or vocalists or whatever, they generally haven't put in nearly as much time doing it just because that's not really, it's not as important to what they're doing. You know, they're more focused yeah. on recording techniques for their instruments or for their voice um, or writing, you know, writing something really insightful, you know, like that's where all their time is gone. Whereas for a house producer, especially one that doesn't really work with vocalists or anything like that, it's all instrumentals, all my time goes into mixing. So <laughs> that's, that's mostly what it comes from, is just that I've spent more time doing it um, than a lot of other artists. Do you think you're going to, so with your background, you're mostly going to school for it back in, say, what, 2010? It's 2010 about, to 2011. Yeah. Okay, so about eight, nine years now. Uh, would you say that you... Do, from where you started to where you are now and probably into the near future, do you see yourself working more with mixing and mastering rather, or do you see yourself more producing your own work and doing your own you know, progressive house music under your own, under your own uh, moniker? That's tough. I don't think I'll ever stop making progressive house. Um, you know, it, it seems like, I sh- it, it often seems to me like I should be better at it than I am now but I think a lot of people feel that way um but you know it's been eight years um I kind of expected that uh I would have had some more successful projects or that um you know I haven't said a lot of stuff to labels but you know when I hit something that I think is good I'll send it off um and I think I thought I would I thought that I would have 
had a hit, not a hit, but like I would have, someone would have picked something up by now, okay. even a tiny label. Um, so I don't know. My, my, I kind of do often think like, yeah, I'll probably never stop making house tracks just because I really like it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, if it's not really, if no one's picking them up and it's not really generating anything, uh, maybe throwing more time into the mixing is, you know, a, a good thing. You know, maybe focus on that and do that as like a side gig, you know, get some side work with that. Um, yeah, I, I would like to, I, I'm sure my tracks can, will continue to improve. My mixing will continue to improve. Probably what would, the thing that would ever, that would get my tracks to that point uh, is being able to mix, you know, really, really well. So uh, yeah, I, I think I'll probably continue to make tracks, whether a label ever picks one up or not. You know, who who knows? Um, but along the way, my mixing will improve. It has to. Yeah. That's part of what would make my tracks, you know, become better. And uh, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be more people that there's always gonna be people that need a track mixed and have no idea how to do it, and don't want to pay four hundred dollars for you know some pro mix engineer you know but kick me a hundred bucks you know like, or whatever whatever it is for whatever their project is you know mm-hmm. like I, I think those those types of things will become more accessible as time goes on because I'll be better at it more people will know that I can do it you know and I'm I people you know friends tell friends you know like I, yeah I, right. I have I'm totally confident that someday I'm going to get a call from one of the people that I've mixed a track for and they'll be like, Hey, my buddy needs to mix this thing. I told him, you know, I told him you'd be willing to do it mm-hmm. for cheap. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Eventually I'd like to put, uh, to go on Upwork and, you know, just pick up some, some little side gig stuff that way. Cause it is fun. I do enjoy mixing other people's tracks. Um, it can be a pain, uh, you know, cause if their recording techniques are not good, then, it's more it, work for you. And it's more work for me, yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I do enjoy it. It's it's fun to kind of put your spin on someone else's work and uh, improve it in ways that they didn't, maybe they didn't know about. I think that's what mix engineers, like, one of the things that they really get out of their job is returning the product back to the client and having them be like, whoa, like... <laughs> this part sounds way better or holy shit the vocal sounds you know like that's yeah, that's the, that's, that's the, the yeah yeah that's that's what Pretty the cool. and i i've experienced that a couple times so uh i guess just this, the answer to your question is probably both i don't think it'll go one way or the other like i'll probably just yeah. continue to make tracks and i'll be getting better at mixing so i'll do that too when the the opportunity arises i can see that yeah now tell me a little bit more about submitting your stuff your tracks to labels cuz i've never done that I'm not, you know, I don't know too many people who have really tried. I know I got a couple. Of, I have, I think I know one group of friends. Uh, do uh, my friends who are uh, Lumerians, they've, I think they're on a label somewhere, or maybe a couple of their albums are. Uh, they've been around for like 15 years now and have a few, you know, a handful of albums. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know they, I know they've gotten on small labels here and there. But tell me more about, you know, your your experience with uh, applying to to labels uh i mean well these days at least for for the kind of music that i'm doing and the kind of labels that you know that i would send to it's pretty simple a lot i mean a lot of them you go to the website they'll, they'll have like a you know like a Dropbox box where you can submit just upload and submit 
um, or you can send private SoundCloud links. That's that's what a lot of them do as well. Um, I've done that a few times. Uh, this the only trick with it is is like uh, you know you want to like try to select the label that you think that that track belongs to because there's a lot of progressive house labels there's a lot of great ones but they all kind of have their own like style you know so yeah. i would have to like listen you know i'd have to be like okay well this track sounds a lot like these artists on this label like i think it would fit with their music or in their dj sets i think that's the home for this one so you'd submit to them uh and you know if you don't hear anything back or it's just usually you don't hear anything because they're going through so right. many tracks like they don't have time to respond to everybody but I've had a couple you know hit me back and be like oh you know this one isn't for us but thanks for the submission you know whatever it is that doesn't work then you select the next one you know some when you're like okay well maybe this this would also be a good spot for it you don't get anything back like that's that's usually what I'll do I'll submit it like to two or three uh, and then um, you know then I'll be like well you know this probably is going to get picked up um you know, I've got a whole list of labels that you know, in, in a note in my phone, and I'd be like, well, I don't think it fits with any of these other ones, so let's just put it up on, we'll just put it up on my SoundCloud, just put it up there, and move on to the next one. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, you, generally, you want to submit to just one at a time. You know, you don't want to like blast it out to just everybody. Yeah. Um, you know that that kind of shows that you don't really, you haven't really thought about where it belongs you know or like okay. what would be um you know well, like what what would be the home like what would be the best place for it yeah um you know if you're just you're just trying to get it to land somewhere and then if you have multiple people respond back then you've got a problem <laughs> you know it's it's really like yeah you know it, see that. it's it's you kind of do one at a time um and you know you want to you want to do private SoundCloud links if that's what they're asking for, so they know no one else is hearing it or playing it, no one else has gotten it. Yeah. You know, um, you don't want to give it to a bunch of people and then try to submit it. You know, it's it's kind of that's the process. At least that that's the process that I do. That I've you know read is the best way to do it. Is just you know one at a time. Give them a little time to respond. When you don't hear back, maybe do one or two more. You know, if if it doesn't fit with uh, with three labels, then it's probably pretty unlikely that you know it's gonna be right for a bunch of other ones. You know, mm -hmm. like most labels sound different enough that you can't. It's not like oh, this track will work on any of these ten labels. Like that's that's weird. Yeah, that, that's not really how it works. At least in progressive house. Um, but you know, I mean, you could also if you submit to tiny labels like. You know, ones that no one's ever heard of, they'll pick stuff up because, you know, they're they're taking what they can get. Mm. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, I don't I don't usually go for that just because I'd like to I'd like to get something on a like a legitimate spot. Um, I don't know. I it seems to me like a lot of big artists like maybe like one release or two will be on something small that no one's ever heard of. But you don't want to get into a cycle of just like, you know, oh, I've got 11 tracks on eight different labels that no one has heard of. Like, there's just something demoralizing about that to me. Like, you know, so maybe I'm setting my bar a little high, but I just said, I don't, I don't, that's not how I want to do it. You know, I wouldn't like to submit tracks that way. I try to target where I'm sending it, you know? Have you thought about maybe doing maybe more commercial aspect of it? You like more commercial music? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the music that I make with uh, with Zach for Elon Musk is uh, it's much more uh, accessible. Um, you know, he and I actually have uh, really different styles, um, and you know, there's like there's no place in progressive house for uh, guitars um, or like jazzy keys. Not really. Um, and those are the those those are the kinds of things that he really really brings to the table. Um, so the style that I do with him is completely different, um, and I don't think we've ever locked. We haven't really you know it's kind of a new project. We've been working together for maybe six months. Okay. So we we're circling around a sound. We haven't found it yet, you know. But we're yeah. we're circling. We're getting closer to like finding a sound. Um, it's much more in the kind of disco-y sort of. I mean, still some club, still something could be could be play, played in a club, but more of a mainstream kind of a house sound. Mm. Um, and you know, I am fully confident that once we land on okay, this is the style. I feel like it's it's just gonna happen. You know, one of these days we're gonna hit a track and it's be like, okay, that's it. Yeah, that's our sound. Let's focus on this. Like this is like where our music needs to be. And once we've settled on that and we're we're kind of in the groove and making a lot of stuff that's you know kind of focused in on what we are as a group like how we work together um i absolutely intend to submit to some labels that would be more mainstream because that's where that that's where that music belongs yeah it's it's the kind of like if i if i pull out one of my tracks at a house party most people are going to like look around and go what what the fuck is this you know because it's there it's not music that they listen to it's not music that you hear commonly in that setting you know it's like it's the music that you hear when you go to a club where they play that kind of music because you like that kind of music. You know, it's it's very specific. Okay. You know, it's it's like someone who likes techno. Like if yeah. you go to a house party and you throw on like, and I'm talking like straight techno, like German techno or Swedish tech, like real techno. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are gonna be like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know, they're gonna be like, "What? Get this DJ off the decks." Yeah. The stuff that we play, you know, it's it's a lot more accessible. It's remixes of like mainstream tracks. You know, stuff that I don't really I don't love. Mm-hmm. But I can get down with it. It makes my friends dance around. You know, we've done parties for you know we've done even some some like bigger like mansion parties a couple times with a bunch of people that we didn't know. People seem to enjoy it. You know, so I I can get into it. I can dig it. That's cool. Um, yeah, and I mean you know when the time comes, we'll we'll definitely going to submit to nice. those labels. Hopefully, one of those gets picked up. You know, it would be the one where I'm working with a real musician finally gets picked up by a label. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, is Elon Musk available to listen to anywhere online? We have a yeah, we've got a SoundCloud. Um, okay. There's a couple tracks. Up, it's uh, we put a dash in there, so it's Y L A N G dash Musk Elon okay. Musk. Okay. Um, and I think it's just SoundCloud.com/slash Elon dash Musk. I think that's right the, I think that's the URL. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got. Uh, I've actually got a couple DJ mixes up on there. Um, one of them is kind of a recreation of a, a set that we did together really early on. And then uh, I think he just posted uh, like a, a bootleg pack. Um, we do a lot of bootlegs. That's one of the things like he'll be inspired by, you know, some vocal from some song, some mainstream thing. Um, and then he'll, uh, he likes to like cut, um, he likes to like cut acapellas out of things or, or try to filter it out so he gets you know as close as he can you know so they're kind of dirty but um, and then we'll build a new track around it so we have a lot of bootlegs um, and I think he just uploaded a pack of like three or four of them 
from there. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, very cool, man. Well, I think we're pretty good for now. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. About an hour? Yeah, about an hour. Yeah. Good. It's good timing. Right on, man. Well, I think uh, I'll probably... Over the over this year, I'm probably gonna send some people your way for some mixes or mastering. Oh, dude, I would love to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's I'm uh, I'm certainly better at the mixing than I am at the mastering. You know, the mastering, I'm it's it's mostly just limiting, which I I understand. Like I get that aspect, um, but you know, I only have one set of ears, so yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd love to help out. It's I find it fun to work on other people's stuff, and you know, obviously because I'm still amateur, I don't charge very much <laughs> it's yeah. mostly it's mostly experience you know it really helps yeah. to work on other people's stuff that you don't know in styles that you don't know or you've never heard before you know or, or styles that you're not familiar with you know like yeah. it's it's interesting to to like co- go from mixing my house beats to like a band with like a live kit and overhead mics and like shit like that <laughs> like it's it's a totally different experience you learn a lot cool man yeah Well, thanks for coming down. Thank you. I believe in that. I believe in the power of people together.